When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, Ben. Hey. Good evening and welcome to episode seven of Sugar and Silk, brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation, starring myself, Ben Doughty. And myself, Michael Silk Elijah Still got to say, I was still not sure then. Uh, the other week I had a little thing counted in 13 seconds when we had to go right in and nail it, but then I didn't see anything here, so I will follow your lead, Michael. Um, the first talking point I would like to set before you, sir. Uh, last night there was a high-profile heavyweight title fight at the O2 Arena in London. Dylan White squeaked home in a disputed uh, majority verdict over Jermaine Franklin, who was a little better than than some people might have expected. And some people think that he was uh, extremely unlucky uh, not to get the win. What was your take? I was surprised. I had never heard of uh, Franklin going into this, Jermaine Franklin, and uh-huh. I had not seen... Um, I'd never seen both of them really. Dillian, I hadn't I'd seen him fight once or twice. I saw some highlights, of course, but I hadn't really followed his career. I thought the matchup was, I mean, it ended up being a very entertaining fight. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I I thought that Dillian White, it's hard to say I scored it. I didn't officially score. Just looking at it like the energy batting back and forth, I would have gave a squeaker to, to, uh, to Dillian, really. So you, you, you uh, pretty much... Uh, aligned with David Hayes' perception of the fight, who had them level going into the last round, and Dylan won the last round and finished strongly, yes. which clinched in the fight, as far yeah. as you're concerned. So, well, you see what I like to do, Ben. You know what I like to do. I like to take each round, like everyone does, and just like cut it up, break it down, and understand what's going on in that round. Um, I wasn't able to do that because my I just my facilities weren't thinking that way. On I was just kind of like watching it for entertainment. So when I talk about it now, I'm talking about it from the fans' perspective. What I kind of got. Like energy-wise, from the both of them, I, I saw. I thought I saw. I thought I saw Dillian always pressing the fight, and and I thought I saw like uh, Franklin punching to keep him off, but punching effectively, but only punching because Dillian was in re- moving in range and pressing the fight kind of thing. He he but didn't seem to me to be going together. 
you've said in the past quite simply that it's ultimately about putting your hands on the other guy's head and body yeah. target area yes. more times yes. than he does it to you. So you, yes. you don't seek to overcomplicate it and you don't seek to hide behind a mist of generalizing terms like ring generalship, aggression, leading off and yeah. things like that. It's not yeah. something which you pretty much like to keep it simple. As complex and yes. varied and beautiful as boxing may be, the sweet science, mm-hmm. You like to keep the scoring criteria pretty simple, right? It's about the punches. I, I do. I really do. I think if there's one thing they can do in terms of score, in terms of improving boxing in general, like all over, it would it would be better for fighters? It would be better for fans? It would be better for TV? It would be better for the suspense factor? They if they gave scoring to people with defensive abilities, like it's not if you can purposely block slip punches and make an opponent miss and counter. That should be worth maybe not equally as scoring with a punch, but it should be worth something. Like if you see, can... I disagree, Michael. I don't think defense. I think defense is beautiful, essential, crucial. Um, I think it's probably the most. But on important. that alone, why isn't it worth scoring then? If because it's, it's the same way you don't give a football team a goal because the the keeper uh, performs a beautiful, fantastic save. You don't give them a a unit of of, of a point for that, which is called a goal. You, you know what okay. I mean? It's, yeah, it it doesn't diminish from its importance. But but in in goaltending, you're talking about something absolutely different. I mean, if he doesn't goaltend well, the ball goes into the net. You're going to take more than generally. It's going to be more than one punch that's going to hit you before you get knocked out. Generally, um, in probably in 99.9 percent of the cases. But I think if if you if you start making defense uh, a salient point in a fight, uh, you know, and you and you can score for that, then you start one protecting the boxer better. Two. Uh, the 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 person who's has to become the fan has to become better educated in understanding what boxing is all about. The, the and and is, then the judges need to up their brains too. You know when what you I mean? say that, but the, the thing is, when you say that it should be a criteria, it should be rewarded. Technically speaking, it, it is. Now I don't know who the ultimate authority who has decreed this is, but you will have seen it. I know you will. You've been around a boxing beat too long not to have. There is something called the unified rules of boxing scoring. And it mm-hmm. talks about four basic tenets of scoring criteria. They are effective aggression, um, defense, ring generalship, and I think there's another one, effective punching. I think there, I think that there's effective punching is defined. You know, which basic punches mm-hmm. landed. There's um, there's effective aggression, um, ring generalship, and defense. So they do supposedly score on that criteria. But having but said obviously that, they don't. Well, sure, and because it's also kind of fudged, isn't it? People don't, yeah. judges don't have to explain their score. They don't have to, you know, they, they don't have to show their scores until the end that they're read out. So at no point is there any kind of monitoring process on what they are seeing and how they are adjudicating it. And, you know, Tony Abellu recently made the point, or I see the quote appearing on social media quite often, where he says, as fighters, we're in, you know, people stick a camera and a microphone in our face after 12, you know, 36 minutes of getting punched in the head. And we're expected to explain our kind of performance, our tactics, our decisions. Why can't the judges do the same? Um, Would you be in favour of a a more transparent system, whether it be open scoring or or explain scoring and, and all the rest of it? I mean, I think the only reason why they don't uh, have open scoring is because it kind of hurts the suspense, and they always want, you know, what's inside the Cracker Jack box kind of thing. Yeah. And and that gets tired. Like, to make a person responsible at every round, I think that's important. I think think scoring and showing your scoring, open scoring at the end of every round allows people to – it teaches, really. And and also it allows – fighters in their corner 
a strategy going on because a lot of them, they, they're under this impression that they're ahead or they're tied or whatever going into the last round. And so they don't even instruct their fighters how to win the last round. Maybe, maybe, when a, maybe when a punch is landed, there could be like an annoying buzzing sound go off, a bit like that thing that's on your desk for some reason. What is that? <laughs> well, uh, on my desk, like right now? So, something keeps buzzing. I don't think it's me. Something keeps buzzing. Oh, I, I'm guessing it was on. Is it not you? I, I, can't, I hate something keeps going, zzz. not you? Oh, yeah. No, I don't think it's me. I have nothing that buzzes here. Okay. I wonder what it is then. I, 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 I automatically assumed it wasn't me, but tell me if you hear it. And you guys at home, we, we're all about audience engagement. Sometimes we ignore your questions or comments until too late because we're so absorbed. Just hit you when we got a guest on the phone who never stops talking, incidentally. He could have been Don King almost, but um, but, but we loved it. We loved it. Um, But if anybody at home can hear the buzzing, let me know in the comments because it, it's something that's slightly bugging me. But Okay, you know what, Michael, as well, in the amateurs, obviously, they didn't have open scoring because uh, when they switched to the computer system after the 1988 kind of travesty of Roy Jones in Seoul, um, they they had the system where, you know, the, the guys press the, um, the buttons and if they register a punch within a second of each other, three of them at the same time, then a punch is registered. And the way that they would cover it, certainly uh, in British terrestrial TV uh, in the Olympics and, and whatnot, they would have the aggregate score constantly uh, being updated on the screen. So you'd see a guy like 21-18, 21-19, and then at a level. And there was a lot of suspense, to be fair, in that because you could get excited. You could be like, come on. And you'd be sure. looking for Luke Campbell just to land two clean yeah. shots and you know he's home. Yeah. Or maybe the other guy, just get on your bike and stay out of trouble because yes. you can see the score yes. on the screen. So yes. it doesn't have to kill the suspense depending on yes. how you choose to do it, does it? Yeah, no, I, I think I remember the exact feeling. Like I'm watching it and, and it's very like one guy will score two points, the other guy will score one. And, and it makes you, it does bring you into the fight. It makes you a, a, it makes you a part of the fight, absolutely. But here's, here's the thing. If... Because when people people always refer to punch stats, this is what always uh, I always find quaint. People will say those judges were ridiculous. They're all on the take. They're all getting brown envelopes, or they're all blind, or you know. And they will they will cast any amount of aspersions on named, reputable in some cases named reputable officials, and they will say they don't know what they're watching. Then they will refer to these anonymous punch stat numbers that they've got from wherever ESPN and say, look, this shows you what happened in the fight. It's all there. You know the punch stats don't lie. Yeah. Which is obviously but, but, complete nonsense, isn't it? How do you, how does one, I don't understand how the, first of all, when they use judges and they use judges that have never fought before in football and soccer and hockey and every other single sport, these people have done this sport before and they've done it competitively at high levels. I don't understand how boxing can have people who are trained, who are trained to score a fight, but that have never fought. It doesn't make any sense. How do you know what an effective punch is? You don't know what that jab feels like and compared to a right hand or a left hook. It really doesn't seem to make sense to me. Now, I know a lot of referees and judges and they're beautiful people. I love them to death. But scoring when you're getting to that level is, I mean, it's important. You're talking about a person's livelihood. You're talking about a person's safety. You're talking about you're talking about everything that it means everything to a fighter. So so when you when you put your heart and soul and your physical all that ability on the line, and then you get some decisions that are a little bit twisted. I don't know how far this this last night's fight was controversial, but but there have been controversial ones in the past, and and, and it kind of hurts. And it's we got to get it right. It would be great to get it right. I think it would help the sport. Yeah, I mean, as far as non-boxer scoring uh, is concerned. 
I'm I'm 50 50 on that because I, I agree with you a lot of the time. You need. I see these days in, in boxing. I see that there was the buzz. Anybody hear it? I don't know if it's me. I don't think it is. But but I, regardless, um, I don't want to make it. Right, more you know what? Sorry, my bad. It was my Instagram. I figured it was your. I, th I thought it was something to do with you. I really did. You know? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why it's buzzing. But I'll turn the buzzer off now. Yeah, I mean, there's always been a buzz around your Instagram, but we don't need it for this kind of hour of kind of, you know, sanity and good chat. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, you know what? I mean, I do see boxing being infiltrated increasingly by people who, who've never had a, you know, who've never bust a grape at a fruit fight, as my friend George Hansen from Philly is fond of saying. But I also often make a point that a lot of fighters don't know boxing as well as some non-boxers that I know. They don't know it historically as well. They don't have the same perspective. They will talk a lot of rubbish. Or even, I mean, a guy, he's a good guy and he might be watching tonight, but Leroy Nicholas, um, who was a good amateur himself, really apparently really was pretty pretty damn good. I, I've had that on good authority. And now he coaches boxing in his community and does a lot of wonderful stuff. But when he says, oh, Michael Spinks weren't all that, as far as I'm concerned, I never rated him. That's just complete bollocks, to use an English term that uh, you're probably yeah. familiar with. You know, that's just yeah. that. And he's a boxer. There's somebody who has never boxed who knows better than he does about Michael Spinks or knows better about, you know, Sam Langford or, oh. or Harry Greb or Gene Tunney or anybody else. So, but the actual thing of scoring fights and understanding how that works. I'm t the trouble is, you get ex fighters who've turned in lousy scores, you know, and you'll and you'll yeah, get no, by turned in a right score. That, that's my only yeah. problem with that. Yeah. I, I'm constantly left with this conviction that you either know boxing or you don't. There's an element of kind of subjectivity in that, and there's an element mm -hmm. of elitism in that. But that's pretty much. You said it about me on one occasion. You said that you felt that my understanding of boxing was was over and above my actual experience, and that was mm -hmm. just, that's just something that mm -hmm. yeah. it, it is what it is, right? Yeah, absolutely, Bev. And there's another thing about boxing. Like when you're scoring a fight, there's a way in which you score. And I think we've touched on this before as well. When you score the, when you're looking at a fight, you can't look at one fighter. This is what tends to happen. Yeah. Judges will sit there at ringside. They'll look simply at one fighter and they'll look at a fighter and they'll see whether he's punching or not. They'll look at whether he's getting hit or not. And that, and, or they'll look to the other fighter and they're looking from one fighter to the other like this. And they really should be focused on that energy in between them. That, that's so, so true. I, I think we've spoken about this before. Um, to, to people who don't watch boxing all the time, it may sound absurd that you can only watch one fighter because they tend to be in the same frame and they're fighting and hitting one another and they're clinching and all the rest of it and exchanging punches. You might think, how can you only watch one fighter? But you absolutely can only focus on the work that one guy is doing. And yeah. um, I think you... you yeah, so, so that's what they also call playing favorites. Like, you don't do it on purpose. You just happen to do it by accident. So a lot of times, judges will come up with these scorecards that seem ridiculous. But it's because they're looking at one fighter. They're not looking at the fight. They're looking at one fighter and they're saying, oh, wow, okay, yeah, go, go. He's trying, he's trying. They're seeing his effort. They're not seeing the other guy blocking and defending. And rarely are they seeing the punches coming back at them. So, uh, you know, it's that's that's how it could end up. Not that a person has it in the, has it in you know has it out for another fighter or wants to lose wants him to lose or is, like the the scorecards are bad by genuine reason because they're not looking at the fight properly. How much do you entertain the the inevitable notion of corruption or or, or just loaded heavy bias towards yeah. the bigger? Animal. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's always there. We're human, and it's always going to happen. There's always going to be 
you know, the human element to it. <laughs> you know, people get, they become biased for whatever reason, because they like a person, they maybe grew up with them through the amateurs, uh, before they got their judge's certificate, they liked them. And, you, you know, there are just so many reasons why. But I, I, I do believe, um, for the most, for the most, I mean, I think people, you know, they really try. They just don't have the, they're not told the right things, like how to really score a fight and what to look for. A jab isn't worth the same amount as a right hand or a left hook. Exactly. So, and, and that's another thing we spoke about. Um, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I gave you the scenario before I always do about the, the one guy lands five regular left jabs and the, in, in a round of boxing and the other guy doesn't land anything except for two really big right hands. There is an argument that either one of them could have won the round, but depending on what your, your criteria happens to be in that situation, mm -hmm. I certainly know a number of professional uh, referees and judges who would score for the guy who landed the two stiff right hands, but, you know, yeah. because they were the most significant punches. You know, they yeah. call them power shots, right? That, that's yeah, another yeah. thing that's right, Michael. They talk about power shots landed, whereas obviously you'd be like, okay, who does these? Who comes up with these numbers? And how do they know what a power shot is? You know, and did they ask anybody, you know, who took yeah. the shot? Yeah, um, exactly. Because you can also throw a power jab. And this you can. And you throw a power jab, right? The, the way you tend to do it is because if you throw a regular jab, right, I stand back a little bit. I just throw it like normal. It kind of throws itself. You turn the body a bit. But if you want to throw the power jab, you've got to lean, put your weight here a little bit and maybe thrust that shot a little bit more, right? It, yeah, the, well, there are numerous different power jabs, right? So so the one you talked about is one of them, especially because, you know, you lean to the side, you more or less have yeah. your opponent coming in, so you're using his momentum with the shot. But generally yeah. the power jab happens when, you know, you're leading with your left shoulder. I don't know if you're – I look like I'm on my right here. But yeah. when the punch comes at you, you lean away from it, the opponent's yeah. coming in. Now my left shoulder is behind me, not in front. Now it's back. So then I throw and I turn it over. And I hit him with a power jab, and that feels like a left hook. On every instance that I've thrown it, I've hurt my opponents. Marvin Hagler was a master at that. They used to call it, they call it like the gazelle jab or something. The gazelle jab, because he would jump into it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, because you, yeah, but but he would bring the shoulder back, and and he would and he would drop it over, and but you, you uh, lay back, and back on you. I know, uh, but there's a twist in the body. That's important. Yeah. You're bringing the shoulder back. And now you're putting the, your body weight. You're transferring your body weight into the punch. So yeah. so you, you can do it one or two ways. You can lean back, step back, and come back with it hard. But if you're coming with the shoulder back, then you've got the weight of your torso coming through the fist. And that's yeah. what's hitting your opponent. That totally changes the punch. Bobby Chase used to call it the shotgun jab. And, By the and, way, we got to get Bobby Chez on here. You 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 were talking oh, yeah. to Bobby Chez the other the other day. Yeah, so we got oh, yeah, Bobby's doing great. I, I love to let's get him on. I love speaking to him. He's he's a great man. He was an incredibly talented fighter. Yep, he was one of tomorrow's champions with that whole kind of Tony Ayala Jr., Alex yeah. Ramos, um, oh, David Moore. You know, and, and this uh, man has some great stories. And and he has yeah. Um, also, uh, Green was on there. Uh, yeah. 
uh, Mitchell Green. Mitch Green, yeah. Mitch Green was it was in that Mitch kind Green. of NBC. Mitch Blood Green, yeah, he was one of them, and um, Alex Ramos, as you said, yes, Alex Ramos would be great to get him on as well. But... It would be. We, we've got a list of thousands that we need to do. You know, yes. it was great having Michael Nunn on last week. It was great having yeah. Michael Ayala on before that. Yes. We've that's what's going to be a lot of fun about this is we have such a, a bunch of people that, you know, fascinating faces. And then, and then we're weaving in and out of conversation. But ultimately, I did think that, I'm sorry, I, I did think that uh, that he, he deserved the decision last night. But again, if I went back to score it, who knows? I think I did. I do think Franklin did a great job. He did. The biggest fight of his life. Unheralded. I never knew he even existed in the heavyweight division. Um, you know, he took a great shot, but you never want your chin to be your greatest attribute. I've always, I've always said that. It's fair to say you're right. I mean, Dylan's best shots bounced off that kid all night. Yeah. Can we agree, regardless of the scoring? Can we agree that it was not the kind of performance to put the fear of God into the hearts of top heavyweights? No, it isn't. But uh, you know, you have to say he's, you know, he's also got a new trainer in Buddy yep. McGirt, and Buddy McGirt's going to be asking him to do different things, and and. So it, that's gonna one of the hardest things to do about being a trainer. You have to teach a man new things, but you cannot rewire his instincts. And sometimes, what did you when, think of the cross arm thing that he was blatantly experimenting? I saw, with? I saw that, yeah. and, I, and the first thing I thought about was George Foreman because that's what George, you know, George yeah. Foreman did that. And and actually, George, when he came back uh, for the second time, that's when he employed that defense. And I think it was, I don't know if it was more Archie Moore or you know that was. Archimore was training him beforehand, but when Archimore was no longer training him, that's when he started using his defense, you know, reaching out, catching left hooks out here, you know, yeah. with his arm out like this. And I think when George got older, he had to adapt a little bit because he wasn't as ferocious. And, you know, he wasn't that kind yeah. of like killing machine that could yeah. just keep walking yeah. through a forest yeah. of, you know, opponents yeah. and, and yeah. chopping them down. But, but like, mm -hmm. so, I mean, for a minute, I thought you were talking about the style from Archie Moore. You're actually talking about the coaching from Archie Moore. That's why I mentioned Ken Norton, who also yeah. had the, famously had yeah. the cross type defense. Yeah, exactly. But um, I think that, George. No, let me tell you something, Ben. That's a very hard defense to learn, and and it's yeah. very, it's unforgiving, because you're yeah. going forward and you really have to like absorb a man's shot, and to absorb a heavy puncher's punch over like twelve rounds or fifteen rounds, that's incredible. So you really to, in that short period of time that Buddy worked with him and they implemented that defense. That's like. Getting a, like in, in football we have over here, that's kind of like having a new OC, a new offensive coach come in and offensive coordinator come in and just totally undo your offense and throw in and throw in a new offense. Or a new and defense. that's what Andy Lee said, Michael. He, he said the trouble with a guy like Buddy McGurk because he is because so, he is such a maestro is he probably tend to he probably highlighted maybe too many of Dwight's flaws. You know, he probably points out the flaws yeah. and that can cause a crisis of confidence. If someone yeah. tells you, if you're a pretty good um, boxer who's been around f for several years and you've achieved yeah. certain things and someone tells you you're doing something all wrong, which sometimes these guys do, they'll come to him and say, you know, I remember Klitschko when he got with Manny Stewart, uh, Klitschko told him he was, he was practicing, ba he had him practicing basic footwork drills again because he wasn't happy with something. And Klitschko said, I did this when I was like 12 years old, you know, in the amateurs. And he said, yeah, well, you're yeah. going to do it again. You know what? But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, sometimes yeah. it can make you think, it, it, it can mess with your head sometimes when, when someone tells you you're doing something all wrong yeah. and Absolutely. you're not going to get any power like that. You're never going to yeah. knock anybody out if you throw yeah. it like yeah. that. Yeah. You're going to yeah. get your head knocked off if you, if, if you, yeah. you know, put your hands like that. Sometimes yeah. they will do that with a fighter. 
Yeah, it's gone. It's the gauntlet, and it happens every single time you have one trainer and you go to a new trainer, and they need to break it down or get rid of your habits and bring in theirs. And again, they're not necessarily interested in complementing what you already know. They're interested in. It's almost like when uh, you know someone has conquered, uh, uh, you know, a city or a land or a country, and they go in and they sweep everything away. It doesn't matter their history. That yeah, all the history they wipe it out. <laughs> Sorry. Their own language, their own money. Exactly, own- and you got to rewrite the book, and that's it. And and um, sometimes it's a good thing to do, but you know you have to understand that also what got them there to that point was that ability, and you don't want to get rid of all of it anyway. If anything, you just want to enhance. You want to add more things on. You don't want to take things away. And to implement that kind of defense against an opponent you probably knew very little about. I don't know. Maybe he got a lot of film on him. That's that's really that's really risky. So I admire him for that. I know if he would if Dillian White, I haven't seen him enough times to know that if he would have fought the way he originally fought, if he would have fought, if he would have knocked that kid out. The kid was prepared. He was good. I mean, even though like you look at it and you're looking at it and you're like, these guys, both of them could have done so much more if you were to look at them physically. They just look like they could they could do so much more. And if you're getting tired later on in the fight, this is an easy fix. This should be like conditioning should should this shouldn't happen? But then again, then you have some fighters who have body beautiful, and they get tired in the third, fourth round, and you're kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. Before we move on to something a bit more retro, um, next weekend we have the the, uh, the the not highly anticipated. I think it's fair to say third fight between Tyson Fury and Derek Chisora at Tottenham Hotspur Football Ground in North London. It's something which. Um, it's been interesting for me. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever known less of a buzz around a world heavyweight championship fight taking place in the UK. Personally, did you say it's in Tottenham? Yes. <laughs> Very cool. You know, I haven't. Sorry. I, you know, there's a little train set, and they have these books in this train set, and they always top and hat, sir. Top and hat. I'm sorry. I'm going yeah. off for a second, but anyway, I missed my chance for a joke, but. <laughs> But Tottenham, yeah. Tottenham has a resonance for you, yeah. So I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so Tottenham, uh, that that fight, yeah. I um, you know what? You love boxing. You're probably gonna watch it anyway. You know what I mean? They've always got they've always got real fight fans' money, no matter what they do or interest at some point. But um, it's not really anything that I'm interested. I won't go out of my way to watch it. That's for sure. And I think the other thing is, Michael, it's okay, perhaps, for a world heavyweight champion um, to have what might be considered more routine defences where, you know, um, it's not necessarily the most testing fight he's going to have in his career and, and against a guy that he's already beaten twice, you know, by, by a wide margin most recently eight years ago. The problem, perhaps, today is the fact that everything is so bigged up to the nines. It's pay-per-view. It's £26.95 pay-per-view price on BT Sport in England. It will be more in the States, no doubt, you know, whatever yeah. the rate is. And um, and it's in a football stadium, and it's it's everything that goes with it, you know. It's the whole nine yards. that Every fight is marketed like a super fight nowadays, mm-hmm. whereas in, in yeah, the day yeah. of your, when Joe Lewis would have those sort of defences that some people even refer to as the bum of the month club, there yeah. didn't seem to be quite the same kind of hype and sensationalism around yeah. it, so far as I can yeah. gather, you know. So perhaps that's the problem. Yeah. I think, um, listen, boxing right now, it's uh, the talent isn't as high as it's been in the past, but the interest surely is. And that, yep. 
because of a number of things. And so, you know, I, I don't begrudge any fighters their money and, and you know what I mean? And all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I um, yeah, I do, listen, it's what the market can bear, right? That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. I just think that um, in terms of when you start calling yourself the greatest fighter of all time or even considered in that, trying to put yourself in that or other people trying to move that said fighter yeah. into those kind of uh, uh, that area. It's just a no, it's a no go. You can't, you absolutely can't. It's just the way the game is evolving and the way the thing it is maybe devolving. It, it, it just isn't that kind of, yeah. It well, doesn't make sense. What can we say? Hopefully, um, if things play out the way people expect them to, then hopefully, Fury next time out at some point in the first half of 2023 will fight Alexander Usyk for all the marbles. I think that is a fight that the world would be, you know, boxing fans yeah. would be highly interested yeah. in. I think the world at large would be interested in it. And it's something yeah. I think we could get our teeth into, you know, and I think, I think it yeah. is a 50-50 fight. And um, what can we say that we wait for that to come around? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just, uh, I, I you know, you, you lose the excitement for certain fights and it's just like this, there's this bland normalcy. It's just like normal. It doesn't even feel like there's a super fight anymore. You know what I mean? It just, everything just feels normal and it's okay. So I'll look at these guys fight and all the rest well, of that kind of stuff. When was the last fight you were really up for in that way? Like a Leonard Hearns one kind of vibe of the hairs on the back of the neck standing up? I mean, I, I certainly I certainly was up for, for Tony and Jones. Because yes. I've seen that. The uncivil war, right? The uncivil <laughs> yeah. war. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just, uh, but they're, but they're, both of them had such incredible abilities. They kind of like canceled one another out in terms of like general fight excitement. For the purists, it's a beautiful fight to watch. But I, I think um, it could have, it could have done with being a bit more competitive. It, it was like based on the anticipation, it was only Roy that showed up really on, on, on song that night. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony well, was having is, a well documented. Yeah. Foot, you know, weight problems and uh, yeah. I think generally that I don't know if the problem was really that bad. I don't know if the problem was that as much as Roy's style to somebody like James Tony is like Sugar Ray Leonard when he boxed against Duran the second fight. Yeah. It's like when 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 you're fighting a guy that throws straight punches fast down the pipe and steps out and doesn't stand there to trade. It's hard. It's hard for him because, uh, you know, um, just the nature of, of the way in which James fights and the way Duran fights, they're not going to fight guys who know how to stick and move very well. That's always going to be a difficult fight, 100%, every single time. From what I now, can gather about Tony's camp, he, was, he wasn't doing the weight the way you would want a fighter to do the weights. And as I said, Bob Aaron was actually quite uh, disenchanted with his involvement, Tony, when he said, the guy has got a fucking eating disorder. That was his words, his, his choice of profanity. And, yeah, it, and yeah. Helen had a, had a hard time, you know, um, keeping an eye on James. I mean, they'd be yeah. a few days out before a big yeah. fight. But all well and good, Ben. All well and good. But it could, in what circumstance could you see Tony beating Roy when Roy when when Tony's strongest attributes aren't going like going forward, cutting a guy off in the ring and staying on his toes, cutting him off and making yeah, a guy. Fight. You know, how'd you counterpunch Roy Jones? Um, yeah, um, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I accept it's, what you're saying. What you're saying is, it, it, you know, he could have had the most perfect camp, and he could have he could have done the weight, at, you know, like a Spartan monk, you know, with superb discipline. Yeah, and that, and it have... it's still going to be hard, just by the nature of the. And I think the world of James Tony. I think any. I mean, that's the reason why he's able to go from middleweight up to heavyweight and thump those guys, and and even is because of that same ability. Like Roy couldn't. I don't think Roy could do it as impressively as as up at heavyweight that that James Tony can, but that's the nature of the styles. What they said about Roy Jones was he was such an amazing physical specimen. Once that edge had, had doled by a fraction of a percentage, whatever it might have been, he didn't have the fundamentals and orthodoxy of method to hide behind in his later years, mm -hmm. the way that Hopkins and Tony did, for instance. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, and yes. that was the problem. The, yeah. Somebody did, um at the end of the, I guess it was the end of the, um can't remember if it was the end of the 90s or it might have been the end of the the noughties as it were but it was around i think it was probably the end of 90s somebody was trying to assess the achievements you know it would have been the end of the 2010 kind of period because yeah. jones and, and hopkins have pretty much done what they were going to do more mm -hmm. or less by then and um the guy that weighed up who was the greater fighter was it jones jr or was it bernard hopkins he called it like a kind of um ultimately an evaluation between the body and the brain. Hopkins was the brain and Jones Jr. was the body. And ultimately he came out in favour of the brain and said that the brain, Hopkins had the, the greater resume, the greater longevity and deserved to be regarded as a great fighter. But this is where we get back to yeah. your thing in particular. Yeah. It's very hard to talk to any person who's actually boxed at some decent level who doesn't think Jones was greater just be simply because they say, listen, that guy was Superman. I don't care what you want to say. You can't show me a fighter that was more perfect than that. You you did a wonderful um, piece about it in your kind of System by Silk series. I think mm -hmm. it may have been the first one you did or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And you said something like, imagine, right, okay, take a like a hi-hat drum and try to keep a beat on that while simultaneously performing some other rather complex and contraindicated <laughs> discipline. I can't remember yeah. what you said. But you yeah. said, okay. And then you were somewhat close to trying to appreciate what George Jones did almost seemingly yeah. naturally in the ring. And that yeah. is why it's a bit like the argument when that guy, Steve Compton, the historian who wrote the book about Harry Greb, he was saying, I'd always felt Penel Whitaker was overrated. And you were like, with all due respect and as politely as possible, are you on crack, sir? And yeah. he was just trying to say, well, you know what, Michael Elagio, you wouldn't really know. You should stay in your lane, you know, Whitaker, <laughs> Because you were just saying, say, how can you not see how brilliant yeah. Penel Whitaker was? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was um, and that's, you see, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. I guess that is why a journalist and an historian and one of the people coming from the more intellectual perspective mm. will say stuff like, well, Hopkins' resume is better because X, Y, and Z. Whereas yeah. you, or an Iceman John Scully, and, and maybe Montel Griffin will simply say, but look at Roy Jones' box. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's the unfortunate thing that we never get to. Um, you know, there's a lot of fighters, even Sugary Leonard, Sugary Robinson is a welterweight. You know, we don't get to see that. I mean, I've heard so many legends about him as a welterweight. You know, there's bits of grainy, greenish kind of footage. Okay. Oh, really? if you, do you know what? There, there's, okay, Silk, there is, a, there is some footage of Robinson versus Bobby Dykes in 1950. It's not, if his prime was about 47, 47, it's a little after that. But there was this footage of Robinson versus Bobby Dykes in 1950. Mm -hmm. And when I see it, I think that is what the connoisseurs and the old timers with the yeah. trilby and the cigar chewed up cigars were talking about. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. the guy that was the greatest fighter who ever lived. And do you know what? There's no awesome, there's plenty of awesome knockout footage of Robinson where he throws us almost, almost kind of wild combinations with that bowler yeah. punch, the slashing yeah. left hook and the uppercut yeah, yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it. 
it isn't really that. There is beautiful movement and actually more swagger than I ever actually saw, more overt swagger than mm -hmm. I ever saw in a Ray Robinson fight. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to send you the footage after we finish. Yeah, please, I'm looking forward to seeing and, and, and to me, this, that's the one. That is the Robinson footage, Bobby Dykes. That's my personal preference. Okay, I'd love to see that. I'd like to. Uh, I'd also ask, uh, like to ask you about the fight last night on the undercard of the of the Dillian. Go on. And, yeah, and um, and Franklin, and that was Ryan versus Sanchez, the ladies' fight, the the women's fight, the female fight. Yeah. I think that's the best female fight that I've seen, and I don't know how long. Like for really? for, yeah, like technically. They're correct. The body shots, their movement, the purposefulness. I was kind of like, I was, I was actually really impressed. I was like, what? Yeah. I, I'd never you know, seen it before. Annoyingly, I didn't see it because I was at a movie premiere last night. Um, Joe Joyce, the heavyweight contender. Okay. His mother is 93% blind. Okay. Um, and she's a really wonderful, inspiring woman. She's kind of really, she looks ridiculously younger than she is she's still kind mm -hmm. of if joel forgive me she's still kind of sexy she has that kind of vibrance <laughs> she's a real card and a real, a real kind of a civil know. tongue in your red yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, um you know she, she, it was about her it was about him and his family but it was particularly about her and how she's dealt with the you know the that kind of disability since childhood and just just how how great she is basically so i went to the movie premiere you know briefly spoke to joe joyce um mm -hmm. And said, you know, how, how fantastic I thought his mother was. And then we jumped in a in an Uber, a taxi, and came back to just in time for the main event. Myself and Natalie. So I didn't uh, see okay. the, but I didn't, didn't see Gorman see versus uh, Wardley, and I didn't yeah. see Ryan versus Sanchez. So you're going to have to educate yeah. me and tell me why you, because I know you, Michael. You're not remotely mm -hmm. anti-professional boxing. You're not kind mm -hmm. of. Um, you don't have any kind of um, misogynistic or sort of old traditional dislike of women boxing. You don't have a, a distaste for it. Like Joseph Dobrian, your friend of mine, great journalist, great yes. writer. Mm -hmm. He does, he just plain doesn't like it, um, yeah. and, and, he, and he can't he kind of can't accept it. And my mate John Doyle, who's watching this, he said hello earlier. We say hello back. Uh, he's got no time for it either. Whereas you you don't have that default position, but at the same time you take you. you you take it as you see it, and you've not been massively impressed up to now until last night. Yeah, and I have not been impressed at all. And with, and with a lot of them, I, I've always just seen holes where they could have done better. And and what I saw with these uh, ladies last night, they were very sharp. Their punches, their combinations were thrown with purpose. You know, there were there were certain things like you see in male fighters, like you could have turned the punches over better or what have you, but. Yeah. But for the main part, like it was really fantastic to see. Like I'd never seen. I, I've seen one girl in the ring that's superior to another, and so there was a big difference in, in ability. But this one were two ladies that were parallel. Like, and then you know Ryan eventually pulled away and and wins over Sanchez. But it was it was an incredible fight. I think you should take a look at it. But only just for like the technical ability, like the combinations that she threw and and both of them threw. And and how they were countering one another. I mean, I, I just thought it was it was a, uh, it was I was really kind of stunned and impressed. I thought it was a, a good strong performance. In one part of it, Ryan's cornerman got a little overzealous. Ryan's cornerman is this big strapping black dude, and and he um he got in and and she just finished winning is between the sixth and seventh round, I believe, or seventh and eighth round. He gets into the corner, he gets into the ring, and he's yelling at her. And she had a good round. And he slaps her face, pow, like this. And he's telling her, what are you doing? And he he actually, like, I mean, he really slapped her face. I, I'd never seen 
I've I've seen one time before a male trainer do it to a male fighter, but that totally threw me. It's like I was like, wow. I think it, it was common for Chris Eubanks trainer Ronnie Davies to slap him across the face at will during really? something. I've known it from other fighters too. It's an interesting one there. That scenario you just in these politically correct times, these confu- ever you know these ever more inc- uh, confusing times. The whole idea of like we're, we're, we're liberal enough to have female boxing on this equal platform to male boxing, yeah. but our trainers allowed to slap them across the face. Is that, you know, where does that place us in the kind of whole uh, pantheon yeah, of it's, yeah, socially? The whole thing is kind of strange. I mean, to slap a woman in the face is that's just not, no one's going for that these days. In a fight, do you do it? I, I suppose. I guess if you're, if if you know that's how your fighter gets the response, or but yeah. it seems like it's like an emotional shortage. It's something wrong with the slappy, not the one who got slapped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I love I, mean? I love that quote we just could have got there as a context when you said to slap a woman across the face. Nobody's going for that these days. <laughs> That's a nice little soundbite we could use. <laughs> I used to, no, Clark Gable used to do it and it was okay. That's what I'm trying to say. But, but today, yeah. no, it's not going to happen. No. Um, do you know what? Um, there's something which I would like to address, um, yes, which happened at the start of the week, Monday. I was, I was you know, saddened to hear of the death of Buster Drayton, former IBF light middleweight champion, who. Um, he does strike you in particular as one of those throwback fighters, you know, and a yeah. fighter's fighter and, and the kind of fighter yeah. that it's impossible to dislike and yeah. not to uh, rejoice in his success when it came mm-hmm. to him, you know, because he made it the hard way. He, he was on the road a lot. He wasn't one of those fancied guys that was backed and, and groomed mm-hmm. for stardom. Yeah. And, you know, he triumphed anyway, you know. So um, it was your era in particular. So I imagine that you would... I mean, you conceivably may have met Buster Drayton or rubbed shoulders with him at some point in your career. Yeah, I had met him one time. My my brother Tukumbo, um, when we found out that um, that he passed away, my brother Tukumbo actually reminded me. I had forgotten that I had met him when he was when he was training after he'd finished. Well, he hadn't finished. He didn't stop fighting for a long time, but he was still fighting. But he was mostly training kids, and. Yeah. Um, He's just like a beautiful energy, a beautiful individual. You'd see him in his fights. Like even I remember when he fought Mark Taylor. That was the first time I saw him. Yeah. And he won that fight. I believe. Did he stop him late? Yeah, he put him over five times, Michael. I believe it was yeah. the eighth round stoppage. Eighth yeah, round. So, uh, he put him yeah. over five times in, in that. Yeah, so it was round. an incredible win, and it was really a fight that Mark Taylor was supposed to win. That was absolutely. Mark Taylor was the one in this one. And and so it was a wild upset, and and I remember distinctly when when uh, when Buster was hitting him, and he had this smile on his face. He he looked like happy, and he had that. I thought that I thought maybe he was mocking him or something, but he had that smile all the time. He's just one of those people that were naturally happy no matter what happened in his life. Like he had a lot of hardship, and you know the to. Fighters like that, you take their life and you put that in a movie or st- like you're interested, you're intrigued. It's so incredible. And he was he was an excellent puncher. I'm not even sure he had an extensive amateur career, if any at all. I, I, th- I imagine he learned to box in the Philadelphia gyms to a great yeah. extent. So for him to go from there, from never having fought an amateur fight to winning the world title, and and I think he defended it a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah, he made two defenses before he lost that classic to Matthew Hilton, which, and Matthew that was a Hilton, yeah. yeah. If you're going to yeah. lose a title, it's such an honourable way to forfeit the crown. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was there was no quit in that man. So um, 
you know, blessings and love to him and his family. And he should be honored, uh, uh, you know, for carrying the torch the way he did for boxers and boxing. Uh, you know, a guy like that, he's the kind of guy that, you know, that's the story. That's that's what you want to see with a fight. You don't want to see the guy with the, you know, silver spoon in his mouth and brought all the way up and from fight one to fight 50, he's making a million dollars. You see this guy that had absolutely nothing and he came up and he fought and he did it the hard way and he lost fights before he got to the title. And, sure. you know, he, he earned, he let it form him. And, uh, you know, blessings and love to him. Rest you know, he, before he um, wrecked Mark Kayla, uh, that was May 13th, 1984 at the Royal Albert Hall. Sorry, um, wasn't the Royal Albert Hall, I don't think it was at Wembley. Um, but either way, it was that date. And I remember because um, before that, he'd done Jimmy Cable, the British light middleweight champion in a round. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Cable also went on to become European light middleweight champion. It was a very good fight. Sadly yeah. passed away quite recently also. But, yeah. um, but, but so before that, he'd, he'd already done Jimmy Cable in a round. Then Mickey Duff and his brain trust, you know, the brain trust around Terry Lawless's fighters, including Mark Haler, decided to bring Buster Drayton over for him. And it was the same bill as Barn Crusher Smith versus Frank Bruno. It was a Sunday uh, evening uh, um, in London. And it was the night of upsets for the Lawless Duff stable because, first of all, you've got um, Drayton puts Kayla down five times and stops her in the eighth. And yeah. then you've got the sensational come from behind, 10-round you know, KO win for, for Barn Crusher Smith yeah. over Frank Bruno. So it was a black night for, for yeah. British boxers you know, um, on that particular occasion. And I think that's why Buster Drayton he always got a special place in the hearts of British fans because one thing about British fans is I think they will give credit where it's due and when you beat their favourites they will embrace you and take you into their heart after that and I think that was the case certainly with people who I, knew that. I have one question, aren't knights supposed to be black though? Say again? Aren't knights supposed to be black? Yeah, knights are supposed to be black and you know what, as I was saying, <laughs> I was trying to, I was wondering was it actually a Sunday afternoon but I don't think it was because yeah. remember they used to have weigh-ins on the same day and uh -huh. they weighed in on Sunday afternoon yeah. because I remember the live coverage on BBC One yeah. and they were into, I don't remember them talking to Bruno, but I remember them talking to Smith. And yeah, I remember yeah. him saying, he was a bit yeah. of a funny kind of uh, spooky character, Bunker Smith. He, he used to do this yeah, bulging yeah. Eye thing. He used to really yeah. open his yeah. eyes really wide for some yeah, kind yeah. of yeah. chilling effect. And then, yeah. I remember that the interviewer said to him, how do you feel? And he said, I'm scared. He said, he looks mm -hmm. scared too. And then um, <laughs> and all the rest of it. You know, and um, and he was his trainer, of course, was the great Emil Griffith. That was who came over with, um, yeah, James Smith. But, but you, in answer to your question, knights are supposed to be black. Yes, it's almost in a sense it's what defines them. You know, there's nothing. To do I thought about it was it. a double on a double entendre. You know, that's defensive. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a show. You know, Buster Drayton. He, he was seventy years old, but it's still too young for, still too young to leave this mortal coil, really. But as you know, um, fighters don't seem, you know generally don't seem to live as long as a lot of regular people for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. All right, Ben. So um, I have I have a question for you. And I just threw this out of my head and I, I kind of put together like what would be, what I think would be the greatest fights. Not necessarily the greatest fighters in every division, but what I think would be the greatest fights in every division. And I know we're not going to be able to hit every division. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But I'm going with the maybe somewhat the original eight. Um, I want to ask you the question, and people can write in and give us their opinions as well if they want to. But I want to um, I want to start off in the featherweight division. Who do you think would win? And I think this would be the greatest fight of any featherweight era. From any featherweight era, we're bringing them up, and we're meeting at the same age. Okay, so Salvador Sanchez versus yeah. Alexis Aguayo. Who well, would yeah. win? Sanchez. I knew Sanchez would be involved uh, there. When you said featherweights, I knew he was one of them. Um, and they spoke about this possibility, didn't they? It was a real possibility in 1982 before Sanchez prematurely yeah. passed. And they were talking about the fight taking place at junior lightweight. Um, it's, it's a tough call. I will, my friend John Doyle won't appreciate me saying this, but I will lean towards Sanchez because Arguello could be outboxed and made to look relatively human on occasion by QT, um, which Sanchez mm-hmm. certainly... Sanchez was a wonderfully versatile fighter who could do it all. But mm-hmm. I think he would have had the ability to outmaneuver Alexis in, in a tough 15-round fight and, and, and get a decision, possibly. But you know as well as I do, you know, um, Aguayo was a great puncher and just such a correct such a correct puncher and a great boxer himself, you know, a great technician. So Yeah, yeah. Um, he was uh, so Alexis was extremely accurate as well. I'll go as with Sanchez. I'll go with Sanchez by 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 nose. But I know, so you're taking Sanchez in a 15-round split decision? Yeah, um, Hagler insisted upon Drayton as Chiefs final fighter for years. I thought John Doyle was, was commenting about Aguayo. I thought he'd been like, I'm not having that, Ben. Aguayo would have beat Sanchez as great as Sanchez was. But he's actually come up with the... the, the he'll probably have another comment soon. But um, he's right about Drayton being Hagler's Chiefs sparring partner. Yes, I'm going... I mean, you. Saw, I don't like to predict a split decision because that doesn't reflect closeness. It could be a razor-thin unanimous decision. In heaven, in fighters' heaven, which, which is we are the promoters of this kind of zone of fighters' heaven at this point, we don't have split decisions. We have incredibly brilliant judges who all score it mm-hmm. accordingly and they, and they agree on their decisions. Let's say that. So close decision, yeah. razor-thin, but, yeah. but unanimous. Um, I, I was going to say about Drayton being Hagler's chief sparring partner, what a hellacious job that must have been. Yeah, I well, I it reminds me, I don't want to backtrack too much because we've got 10 minutes and, and, and we've got this theme we're going to close with. But it reminds me of the guy you said, you, you said um, Johnny Banks Walker, you said was absolutely yes. tough as nails. And he yes. was, uh, there was a rumor that he floored Hagler in the gym, but you said the guy was just an absolute phenomenon, yeah. and, and, you know, um, in the gym, but he never yeah. achieved so at all, you know, which is yeah. yeah, it really is. There's some fighters are like that. And um, I, I guess maybe that was. For Buster Drayton, how, what greater experience is that as well? So, you know, you're you're sparring with Marvin Hagler every day and training with him, helping him get ready for fights, and then you're going back and you're fighting Mark Kaler and you're fighting these other guys, you know, Carlos Santos, and you're, you know what I mean, that aren't Hagler level. And so, of course, yeah. that's that's definitely going to make up for any uh, amateur experience you didn't have. I would so, imagine. Uh, oh, next yeah. one. So, so, um, so the next one, lightweight division. Roberto Duran versus Pernell Whitaker. 
Do you know what? I, I, I would say Jermaine is the greater lightweight based on the, the things that I think yeah, are important. We're not talking about greatness. We're just talking but, about uh, the yeah, yeah. I, I was, Of course, um, we are now because we're talking about the fighting. That, that is yeah. the difference. But, yeah. but as I say, as much as I rank Duran the greatest lightweight for all the right, the greater lightweight of, of those two for all the right reasons, I think Sweet Pea beats him because I think Duran, he was definitely a guy who could struggle with acuity on the wrong day. Um, mm -hmm. who could be outboxing, outmaneuvering and frustrated and all the rest of it. And if anyone's going to do that to you, it was P. So I would favour Penel Whitaker against Roberto Duran. You? So now, now knowing that also, that that kind of problem that Duran had with boxers and cuties, he had that with boxers who moved their feet. If you were yep. stationary, he would eat you up. Yeah. So, so does that Although change? Benitez, Benitez, Benitez was was kind of stationary That's quite often, true. right? And he beat Duran yeah. pretty easy, but he beat the the, the less motivated, more kind of yeah. that yeah. kind of. It wasn't um, a lightweight Duran. You know. It wasn't. It was a light middleweight Duran who was having a bit of a slump in his affairs at the time for whatever yeah. reason in terms of his mm -hmm. attitude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I love the way um, with Duran, and I love him to death, but Duran gets passes on things like that, and no other fighter I know of gets passes on, on, he, on fighting. You're right, Michael, he does. And it, it's he's got this, this such a... The, the Duran fans, you know, the lunatic fringe of Duran fans, similar to Mike Tyson ones, they just have such a litany of excuses for anything that doesn't yeah. fit their narrative. And <laughs> yeah. um, there's no way on earth Sugar Ray Leonard would be forgiven for some of Duran's weaker moments. Uh, he just wouldn't yeah. be. That would be seen yeah. as, you know, uh, indelible slurs on, it, on his, his kind of record, you know? <laughs> All right. So let's get the next one. Sugar Ray Robinson versus Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, that's tough, man. Um... I think they fought each other two for nail for 15 rounds. You know, there's a guy called Dave Anderson who wrote Ray Robinson's autobiography. And in his forward, he goes, huh, Sugar Ray Leonard? We wouldn't have gone six rounds with Sugar Ray Robinson. And if you don't know that, you don't know anything. And it's like, I nearly <laughs> shut the book or threw it on the fire there, right there. And then I <laughs> lent it to me, so I couldn't. And I did yeah. persevere and read through it. But, uh, you know, um, I want to say Leonard because because of the, the feelings I have for Sugar Ray Leonard. But it's it's hard, isn't it? I mean, you're not yeah, going to be happy if I say a draw. You're not going to have that, I don't think. No, um, we can't do draws. In boxing, I don't know if there ever is such thing as a draw, even though technically... Yeah, you, you, you don't think the, the reality of a draw ever unfolds, or, or if yeah, it's ever happened, it must be sense. so rare. There are drawn decisions. <laughs> there, there are no drawn fights. That, that's, a, no. that's an interesting soundbite right there. Um, <laughs> I don't know... Um, if it's the first fight, I'll say Robinson, but maybe Leonard yeah. wins a rematch. <laughs> and why do you think Shigure Robinson would win? Like, what, what is it what is it about him that would allow him to dominate Shigure Leonard? Uh, well, he wouldn't he wouldn't dominate he wouldn't dominate Leonard by any stretch, but perhaps perhaps his perhaps his edge in welterweight power. I mean, Sugar Ray could Leonard could seriously bang up welterweight too, but I think perhaps it, it seems that Robinson was the harder, more devastating puncher. At world mm -hmm. to even more so more uh what you know how would you compare his uh, power to tommy hearns that's an interesting question but mm -hmm. maybe the edge in power and the edge in activity and, and more fights would favor robinson because whatever point they met at any mm -hmm. kind of logical timeline that you put them at robinson's got more experience he's got more fights and he's had tougher kind of he's had a tougher breeding and a rearing yeah. in the game yeah. and i think yeah. that might prove the edge in a really tough tooth and nail 15 rounder with yeah. a slight edge to robinson the first time they meet now I'm thinking 
I'm edging towards Sugar Ray Leonard, and I'm edging towards Sugar Ray Leonard because the Sugar Ray Leonard I've seen has defensive abilities, and, and, and the Sugar Ray Robinson that I've seen doesn't seem to have the same concerns. Like, he'd rely on his chin and his endurance and his ability. He wouldn't shy away from a punch at all. Um, like I said, I'll show you, when I show you this footage of him in 1950 versus Bobby Dykes, I'd be interested to see what you think. Okay. Because, but I agree with you. He was, people, you know what people said? That he could have done box more defensively. You know, yeah. they were comparing him to, say, Floyd Mayweather's kind of whole approach, who you said yeah. led with his defense. They said, yes. but Robinson would have been kicked out and not paid in the 1940s and 1950s for that. So it wasn't an option. You Like a, like a comedian getting on stage and not telling any jokes, it would have been yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, um, but I, I hear what you're saying about the um, the defense. I think you know what Paul. I think it was Paul, Paul Pender. It was either Pender or Fulmer who said that Robinson wasn't the greatest boxer of all time by any stretch. He said what he was was the greatest puncher of all time. He said nobody could punch that yeah. well with that timing, going forwards or backwards in combination that savagely. You know, yeah. with, with such fight ending power. That's what he said. He said he was the greatest puncher of all time, not the greatest yeah. boxer of all time. And it reminds yes. me of what Don Dunphy said about um, Pep or Robinson when he was evaluating which was the greater of, of his era and of all time. And he said, I'm going to say it was Pep, he said, because when I saw Ray Robinson box, I wanted him to knock a guy out. He said, when I saw Willie Pep box, I was hoping he wouldn't knock a guy out because I wanted to see 15 rounds of him. And that was his yardstick. <laughs> That's interesting. And Willie Pep was no puncher. So it's almost like you're taking away, you know, I mean, when it's when it's about attributes, I guess I'd always, I'd always prefer to see a puncher is going to be more exciting than a non-puncher. But I guess uh, he was quite the fistic virtuoso. Absolutely. Uh, Willie Pep, that he was that impressive. So next, Marvin Hagler, James Lights Out Tony. I've done this one on my page a few times. Um. Really? Okay. I'll go with Hagler because Tony's a fantastic counterpuncher, a defensive genius, and a good puncher himself. But with Marvin being more versatile, Marvin could box and move. Marvin was a gifted counterpuncher. Marvin had it above average hand speed. He was he, he had great movement in both stances around the ring. Um, I think his ambidextrous, the ambidextrous nature of his boxing and his attack might make prove a difference when when everything is so finely balanced in a matchup like this. Um, I think Marvin had more ways to win the fight, quite simply. Um, mm. And I think if it and if they went to war, I think it favours Marvin quite, quite strongly. Yeah. So I go, with, I go with Hagler having the better attributes and being the better overall fighter than James Tony, who, who was a virtuoso. But there's certain ways that that were things had to go for him to really shine. Really, that that is such a tough fight for me to call, and for a number of reasons. Um, I could, I could almost see James Tony being the first man to drop Hagler. Yeah. Just because of that in fight intelligence that he has, the ability to f stay in the pocket and fight at any pace in the pocket. So, so we're talking about the best of James Tony versus the best of Marvin Hagler, right? Okay. So we're talking about the James you know, Tony beating Barkley. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and all those abilities. I mean, Versus if the Hagler who beat Tony Simpson. That's the one. Versus the Hagler who beat Tony Simpson in 1982. That, that, sorry, 1983. Okay, so that, that's your top Hagler, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And you think that's Hagler's most impressive fight? I think it's the point at which he was the most scarily good as he was ever going to get when he had the experience, but still, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the relative youth mm -hmm. of his prime. Yeah. I think yeah. he was the most finely honed 160-pound fighting machine 
the world's ever seen at that particular yeah. point in 1983. Yeah, because one of the things Hagler did, which was very peculiar to me, is as a fighter, I'd watch him, and there's certain fighters he would be confident against, and there were certain fighters that he wouldn't yep. have that same confidence. And I always wondered what that was that would uh, get in his way of like an epic performance. Like People look at him again. Look at him in his first fight with Guido Antifermo. Yeah, yeah. Well, with Antifermo, he seemed to... There was a hesitance there, you know. Perhaps it was yeah. the thought that he waited so long for a title shot that he'd gone to, you know, taking it to, to court to get a title shot. Yeah, but what caused uh, the hesitancy, right? A second. What caused his hesitancy? Like yeah, everyone I, I, saw him maybe, physically superior. He'd done 15 rounds before, I think. I think he did 15 rounds... Against yeah. Mike Colbert for for some yeah. minute recognition in certain states as world champion. I think he may have stopped yeah. doing the fifteenth round. I'll have to yeah. check that. Maybe somebody could yeah. tell me if that's right or not. Or it, you know what? I think it was scheduled for fifteen. He might have stopped doing the twelfth. But had Hagler ever done fifteen rounds before that night? That might be a factor. You know, because you always wonder. There's always a doubt in your mind how you're going to uh, fare in in the championship rounds if you've never done fifteen rounds. Some people yeah, think Hagler he, stepped he, off the gas a little bit. Also, in his earlier career, like I think he fought Benny Briscoe twice, and the first one was a draw or something like once, that. And then the, once, once, no, once. He, he only fought fought once. Okay, so it wasn't Benny Briscoe, it was somebody that he Sugar fought. Sugar Ray Seals, he drew with. He drew with Sugar Ray Seals. Okay, Sugar Ray Seals, yes. And then he comes back, and he, he's done it on a number of occasions. He comes back stronger the second time because he is like, yeah. okay, now. Um, and not, not to obviously take anything away from him. He's we're mentioning him now, so in my eyes, he's one of the greatest middleweights to ever have done it. And this is by, I'm not trying to besmirch him or his ability or memory at all. I'm just saying with him and Tony, Tony is such a confident uh, and capable, uh, talented fighter with the ability to adapt on the spot. You know what I mean? Like, like immediately you see what you're doing. They both have great resiliency. They both take great shots. They both have the ability to fight for the distance and to fight hard for the distance, uh, for the distance of a fight. I think that's really, really a toss-up. That would be one of the greatest fights of all time, I think, because neither one of them are. I mean, Hagler may try to box him after a while yeah. because I, I don't know if he's going to get on the inside and do what he could do with, other guys, you know what I mean? He had a problem on the inside with Durant, so never mind, you know, James Tony, who's bigger, physically bigger. He, he did for a while, but a lot of people are of the opinion that Hagler beat Durant on the inside ultimately, you know, as the fight progressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a topic on something like this that, that could go on. We can bat it back and forth because there's always going to be something, but um, I, I'm giving the edge to James Tony okay. on this one. Um, okay. Head to head. Okay. So let's move on. Um, Michael Spinks and Bob Foster. Yeah, I like that one too. Um, it's it's such a tough call. Again, that's why that's why you drew these up. Obviously, I get the fact that mm -hmm. they're not supposed to be easy. But um, I'll go with Foster. Um, I don't want. I don't like predicting Michael Spinks gets knocked out. But I think Don Foster was such a mm -hmm. record. Like heavyweight, uh, if yeah. he's got 15 rounds to play with, I think it, he might be behind on points. I think Foster may be a late KO. Wow, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Bob Foster, obviously. And the things that well, obviously, the two fights that I've seen him 
Bob Foster, mostly is well, three fights. Uh, Mike Corey, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. And so that's yeah. kind of like unfair. It's not really it's Bob a little unfair because oh, I'm sorry. And also against, sorry, Dick Tiger. Yeah. That's and a that was a that was an incredible knockout, yes. The thing that I look at it, when I match them up and I look at Michael Spinks and I like the way he, the way in which he moves and his timing is just so unconventional. And I think that would be the biggest undoing. Not only is he unconventional, which is hard to deal with when you're boxing somebody, how do you prepare for somebody like that? But he can hit like a demon. Like he's hitting you like that left uppercut or right uppercut. Yeah, over the, the left right. uppercut that dispatched... Um... It, it was not Michael Wale, Jean Marie B and, and me. Uh, yeah, because Lottie Mawali was was KO'd by Matthew uh-huh. Sarmahammer with a left uppercut. Yes, but, exactly. But it was yes. Michael Sphinx took out um, Marvin Johnson with a left uppercut. That was, that was yeah, that yeah. Was. Well, he took a few people out with that. I remember he had an African kid, and I can't remember his name right now. He had him on the ropes, and he hit him with four left uppercuts in a row, and the guy was stuck on the ropes. And I don't know what the ref was thinking. Every uppercut hit him directly under the chin, and Michael was bringing it from yeah. from down here. You know what I mean? And ripping all the way through. I was like, "Wow!" Uh, incredible punching power, incredible timing. Um, he looked unconventional. His footwork looked a mess. But when, <laughs> but but he won. He was he was. See, uh, this is why this is why Leroy Nicholas the other week was saying, "Oh, he didn't look all that to me." But sometimes you've got to see beyond that, which is why I, yes. which is why I say to you sometimes. As much as I, I'm an aesthetic guy, I mean, I was having this talk with my friend John Doyle tonight. I said, I've always valued style over punching power. I always have done, mm-hmm. you know. But sometimes I say to you, never mind what a guy looked like, because um, because if you're going on that, you might think Michael Spinks wasn't a great fighter just because he didn't, because he offended certain sensibilities we might have about how boxers should look and what we what we consider to be talented or, or graceful or anything else, you know. Um, yeah. But he was... I mean, Michael Spinks could have been the greatest light heavyweight who ever lived, and I think that's that's yes. got to be an entry level of understanding on this. Bob Foster yeah. has been talked up as the same thing quite frequently. Mm-hmm. I would favour him just because he they can both punch, like I say. But I think yeah. um, I would favour Foster, but it but it's, it's very tough, and you, it could be your scenario where Spinks actually is absolute, you know, ties him in knots, and is an absolute nightmare for Foster who just can't time the guy. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to step out a little bit and I'm going to be, um, do even though Cruiserweight's not one of the originals, I think this could be an interesting fight. Uh, Evander Holyfield and Usyk. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a great fight. I'll go with Holyfield because I just think he's, um, I don't think Usyk's ever fought anybody like Evander, that level with those skills. Mm-hmm. I think um, when you look at how Derek Chisora, I think people exaggerate what a hard time Chisora gave Usyk, but he did take him, if he didn't take him to deep waters, he took him to the middle of, of the pool at least, you know, he, they weren't in the shallow yeah. end, you know, so yeah. you yeah. look at the, the aggression of Chisora and how uh, Usyk reacted to it, and by the way, these guys can fight at cruiserweight or heavyweight, that's the luxury of the matchup you just yeah. had to uh, me. Um, I just think I just think Evander had more, you know. I think at, at the minute yeah. he earned the right to be to be given the edge in that particular matchup. But I, I, I'm not immediately sure how Evander did against Southpaws. I mean, I, who did he? He fought Moore, who was a uh, Southpaw. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, he certainly didn't have any trouble with him the second time, did he? Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, the the Southpaw stance might be a factor, but I just think 
Holyfield was a wonderful, wonderfully uh, well-rounded fighter, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I'll give it absolutely. I, I'm not so sure that that it's ever the Southpaw Orthodox that gets guys. I think it's the timing and the and the and the uh, the number of the number of punches that come at you a certain way. But yeah. uh, but but whether a person's Southpaw or not, you have two fists in front of you, and they're either coming from the left side or the right side. And rather hooks or straight punches, circular uppercuts. Uh, so I, I give very little credence to like um, you know the southpaw thing. Like I can't get by him because he's a southpaw. His body's where an orthodox guys would be. I think you, you tend to sweep away a lot of these generalizations, like height, reach, stance. There's yeah. three things you think. So so what? For God's sake. Yeah. It, when those things are accompanied with with talent and power and, and IQ exactly. and desire and hunger, then yes. they start to become a problem. But yeah. you don't see and, and then they'd be a problem no matter if they're orthodox or southpaw exactly yeah, absolutely i it's you know exactly. i agree but people say did you like boxing southpaws or how do you do against southpaws i say well it depends on what southpaw it really does yeah okay so final one you ready yeah here we go who am i gonna say first one's gonna be muhammad ali versus cassius clay yeah Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that one. I will show. Um, so we're going to see the Muhammad Ali of the Joe Fraser, George Foreman. Obviously, his his comeback, his greatest yeah, one. Take that 1974 version of Ali versus 1964 version of. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi. Is that yes. okay? Yes. See, the first time I started thinking about this was when I was still a child. And my dad said he was talking about um, Ali. And he said as much as he thinks the 60s Ali was probably better, in certain ways, he said, I don't know if he'd have fought Foreman as well as the 74 version did. And mm -hmm. um, it's like when people talk about the resume as well, when they talk about, yes, he was he was a phenomenal specimen, and that's what his invincibility aura was in the 60s. Yeah. But yeah. The, the guy in the 70s, he had greater, more meaningful victories, and he showed more qualities that cement your greatness in that second career. In terms of how the stars match up... Um, but it's not like those qualities weren't in him as well... I guess his circumstances and his life circumstances exacerbated those qualities, but it's not like it's not like they didn't exist. They must have existed in him as well in the sixties, no? Yeah, you don't just acquire them, do you? You just you yeah. simply prove you know, that's a great point. Um part of me, I'm really torn as 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 seems only fitting when it's the same guy against himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, um I'm partly tempted to say that the stronger version of Ali that was more experienced and 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 had, had accrued more magic by that point in the 70s beats the more naive version of himself. Uh -huh. But I don't know if I believe it. I'm not sure that young Cassius, young, I mean, he, he wasn't really Cassius, was he? He was Muhammad Ali from the moment he beat Liston. So let's just, but you call him Cassius Clay for the sake of of, of making a distinction between them. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the younger version may have moved for 15 rounds and gotten a decision against um because if it goes to points if it goes to points does the 60s version absolutely win 
does it go if it goes to points? I mean, the '60s version of Ali was just so he was tireless. You know what yeah. I mean? And he was and he was so ridiculously sharp. Like his his physical abilities, just like he's a virtuoso with his hands. He could do anything with them. Hooking off the jabs, you know, the foot adding the foot movement with it, the head movement is tireless. I, I I'm just, gonna say the guy who beat Cleveland Williams could could have beat the guy who beat George Foreman. I asked John Conte this the other day. He said Ali would have uh six he says Ali 74 would have been 64 Ali. So John Conte uh, uh -huh. I believe the 74 version would have won. I'll, I'll go with the 64. I'll go with the 67 version, but if we have to say uh -huh. the 64 version, I'll still take him. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that was. those are my questions. It's fun. Brilliant. I mean, that's, those are, those are dream fights for me. I, sorry? I, so I think I think it's a thing we could expand on because people, boxing fans, have always loved that kind of barroom kind of vibe of the the hypothetical yeah. matches and the dream fights. I know certain ex-pros and people say they hate them. They find them so irrelevant and we'll never know. But that's they're just killjoys, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, listen, especially when we're bereft of so many great fights these days, we've got to dream them up, you know? Exactly. We've got to start <laughs> inventing things and using our own imagination. As always, Michael, it's been a pleasure. Next week, mm -hmm. let's get a special guest on, whether it's Virgil Hill, whether it's Jerry Page, whether it's Bobby yeah. Chez. Um, yeah whoever else let's do that in the meantime let's it's been it. fantastic chewing the fat with you as always guys please remember you can catch up with this on spotify or on the ace podcast nation page you can also become a member of ace podcast nation via patreon we will be back next week at the same time in the meantime be lucky keep punching thank you over out Ciao, yeah. sports social podcast network Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.